When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the afternoons on SEN. Glenn Hawke joining you. Thanks for joining us for the first hour and hopefully you sit in for the next couple. Plenty coming up. Wherever you're listening, SEN here in Sydney, 1170. SENQ in Brisbane, 693 or on the app anywhere around Australia and around the world. Just gone 1 o'clock here in Sydney, 12 o'clock here in Brisbane. So definitely the afternoon show wherever you're listening here now. Beautiful day in both Sydney and Brisbane. 28 degrees in both capitals at the moment maximum of 30 up there in brisbane 31 here in sydney this afternoon still plenty to come so much to talk about in the world of sport at this time of year cricket happening tennis happening and a whole lot more big thanks to sbs fencing portable toilet and fencing hire here in sydney sbsfence.com.au make sure you give them a call or go online to find out more about what they do. Plenty of great texts and calls coming in already today and a big thanks to everyone who's done so you can join the show 0457 736 736 or give us a call 1300 01 1170. Our best text or call of the day. We get a Signet Boost Power Pack. So make sure you get your in. Share us your thoughts on you know, the topics of the day. What's happening in cricket? What are you loving about the tennis down there at Melbourne Park? And a whole lot more. Now, look, speaking of Melbourne Park, we're into the uh, quarterfinals at the moment. Yastremska, 6 3 first set over Naskova. They're on serve one all in the second. To hear, to talk about tennis and a whole lot more. A man who's um, from London, living in Sydney now, Alex Thomas, an esteemed journalist who's uh, who's in Sydney now. Alex, firstly, welcome into SEN. Great to have someone else in the studio joining Coach K and myself. <laughs> Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on SEN. And, yeah, I'm emigrated over here, so I'm learning Aussie life. Yep. Everyone seems to say that I've got a different accent. I don't notice it at all. I think I sound very <laughs> Aussie. Uh, no, it's been great. And actually watching the Australian Open, because in the UK with the time difference, yeah. you kind of wake up in the morning, check up on what's happened. Now I can actually watch it all live in amongst the work on a, you know, at the corner of the desk. So, Well, Coach K and I were just talking about that. So you, the time difference now. So what's it, we're 11 hours behind? We're 11 hours ahead. Ahead. We're, yes. UK's 11 hours behind. So the 3 o'clock a.m. finish here in Australia, that's that, perfect. That would have been good, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. But, you know, all those daytime matches, you know when you're a kid and then – same for the Aussie Open here, same for the, for Wimbledon, for, for mm. British kids. You get up and you watch it from the minute that action starts at 11 o'clock yeah. in the morning or midday at the show courts or whatever. So, And you've got time then, haven't you, yeah. to watch it all day. Yeah. You, you get to learn all those kind of outsiders that we've seen do so well in this Aussie Open, particularly in the women's singles. It's so lopsided between the men's and the women's. Only two of the top eight seeds got to the women's quarters. But I think six of the eight seeds got to the men's quarters. So one side really following form and seedings mm. and the other just blown wide open, particularly on that that top half of the draw. This quarterfinal that's in action right now, Yastremska and Skova, two unseeded players through to the, the quarterfinals. Two great stories. Yeah, astonishing. And I particularly like uh, Diana Yastremska's story. Mm. You know, from Ukraine, during the Brisbane build-up tournament, you know, she phoned home and found out that her grandma had had a bomb hit her house. Um, how are you supposed to go on court and prepare for that? She said, interestingly, because the war there has been going on so long, she and the other Ukrainian players on the circuit have become accustomed to dealing with it, sort of partitioning their lives yeah. from all the sad news they're hearing from back home. 
and then getting their focus on on the court. And let's face it, the top players have always managed to do that. Whatever's going on in their lives, and we all forget that these top athletes are humans too. Yeah. And if we're struggling in our day-to-day, we can maybe you know tuck ourselves away in the corner of the office. They can't do that. They're on a show court yeah. with thousands watching in the stadium and on television. And your strength has managed to maybe use that to her advantage. And I think the further she'd gotten a slam before this one was the fourth round at Wimbledon. Um, and here she is looking really strong in a half of the draw that's only got Jeng as the only seeded player left in it. Mm. Um, and she's leaving the others at the bottom half, particularly Coco Goff and Arena Sabalenka, the defending champion, to fight it out amongst themselves. So if she was to get to the final and either Goff or Sabalenka knock each other out in a massive long three-setter, mm. she's suddenly looking pretty strong. All of a sudden for a, for a 93rd ranked player who you know, you're battling through those early early matches, you want to get into that second week of the tournament – the difference, you know, when they're paying their way to get around these tournaments and, and a lot of these players, you, while the, the top players, the Novaks and the likes, they're making millions and millions and, and good luck to them. It's it's these players 100 below or, or 93 below, they're the ones who do it a lot tougher. So all of a sudden, a, a quarterfinal, semifinal, or dare we say a final appearance, that's a, that's a huge boost for them. Massive, because it costs a lot of money to yeah. travel the world. Yeah. Plus you factor that into... Coaches, physios, nutritionists, the big teams that the top players have. Mm. And then those lower-ranked players have to decide what they go without or what they do without. Um, And that's why it's so competitive, right? Mm. And you can argue whether it's good for women's tennis or bad that you've not had. You know, men's tennis has seen this unprecedented era Mm. of the big three of Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. Where's it going to go now that two of those three have retired? You've got a very exciting group coming up behind them. But you've had these kind of eras of domination. I guess before that, it was the Sampras Agassi era. Then before that, Ed Berg, McEnroe, Becker, etc. Your women's tennis can sell itself, sell itself off of the dynasty of rivalries. Mm. But it's been a bit tricky, hasn't it? You know, Ash Barty retiring when she could have had this maybe rivalry with Naomi Osaka, who's only just coming back after having her first child. So, but equally, it's also exciting that you're seeing these youngsters. So, you know, Noskova's losing that quarterfinal at the moment, mm. but she's a, a team from the Czech Republic. We saw Mira Andreeva, um, the young Russian who's now uh, living in the south of France, absolutely stun the Aussie Open with just yeah. her vitality and her power hitting at the age of 16. Just astonishing stuff. So um, there's kind of exciting times there yeah. as well. You, you mentioned about the, the big three in, in Rafa, Roger, and, um, and Novak. I think Nick Kyrgios... When he interviewed his um, his new second best friend out on centre court the other night, he was he was mentioning about you know once once Novak's done, maybe in the short term we're not going to see that one two or three players dominate not just the Grand Slams but all the major tournaments around the world, and we may see this short term era that a number of these players who are coming through will will share the honours. It, it's it's great for the game through that transitional period, I suppose, and. Till we get to that next era of who are the next big two, three, four. Yeah, because when we've seen some of the youngsters emerge, and I remember going to the ATP finals in London, I think it was 2019, mm. when it was Stefano Sitsipas who won the title. Yeah. Um, and oh my God, I've completely had a blank on the name of the player. Playing. The guy's just um, come back from the wrist injury. Um, it was up there. He... They basically, it shows how hard it was to be consistent. Yeah. You know, we admired Rafa, Roger, and Novak for their talent. And Djokovic, I think, always suffered in comparison because he hasn't got the one spectacular shot. He's just amazing all round at every aspect of his game. And mentally, is tougher than anyone we've ever seen, yeah. arguably. 
Uh, and he's got the stats to prove it, right? Ultimately, he is the greatest based on the numbers. It's just mm. hard to accept that when you've got a kind of a love for one of the other two. <laughs> but for the youngsters coming up, like Zverev as well has had the same. You know, wins that US Open and then struggles to match it consistently. Mm. You wonder whether Alcaraz, if he hits the front as kind of the heir apparent, whether he drags one or two of those others with him. Yeah. I think Yannick Sinner is the obvious candidate. Um, Alcaraz himself has said if anyone's going to be the new number one, and knock Djokovic off his perch. It's going to be Yannick Sinner. Um, beat Djokovic a few times towards the end of last season, particularly, most notably, twice in one day at the Davis Cup in singles mm. and doubles. Um, and just and don't underestimate those little successes, even if it's not in a major tournament, because you know you look at someone like Andy Murray and Stan Wawrinka, who found this barrier in front of them, these mm. these these legendary players, and they had to play them and lose a lot of times before they got the confidence and the inner self belief to realise they could match it with them and beat them in the at the very highest level. You mentioned about Yannick Sinner really did a job on um, Andre Rublev. Rublev was very good against um, against Alex Dimonor, but couldn't back it up. Sinner, again, looking very, very good. Yeah, if you remember that Dimonor uh, and Rublev match, it was two backcourt sluggers, wasn't yeah. it? And it yeah. was brutal at times. And you felt for Dimonor because, a bit like his mentor, Leighton Hewitt, just gets the rings every last yeah. ounce out of his talent, doesn't he? And will never be found wanting for desire. And that's why he was so despondent after mm. that loss, wasn't he? Because he felt like he'd given almost everything he could and it wasn't good enough. And that's hard to take. But he'll, he'll go back. Mentally, I think he's really good. He's very yeah. humble. He knows he's always... But Sinner could just make Rublev suddenly look ordinary. Mm. And that's what's scary for the rest of the field. I don't think he's dropped a, so a set yet, this, this tournament, has he? Um, so I, it's just crazy how how solid and consistent he is looking at the moment. Um, and I think him and Alcaraz are definitely the two biggest threats to Djokovic. It's still Novak's to lose. He's not 100%. It's clear about that. Mm. Um, but even when he's not 100%, he still finds an edge, finds a way. We were talking actually just before I came into the studio about just his gamesmanship. Yeah. You know, taking the time, letting the clock run down to its maximum, you know, maybe having a bit of an argument with the umpire or the crowd, mm. just as little devices to put the focus back on him, distract his opponent, get his opponent, you know, knocked with his approach. And that just gives him an edge. And he's a master at it after all these years now. He would bounce the ball before serving more than any other player on tour, surely. Yeah, unless it suits him to be playing quicker. Yep. What did you make of, you mentioned about his performance, um, maybe not quite as his best at the moment. I watched the game yesterday against Taylor Fritz and I wouldn't say he struggled through those first two sets, but he, Fritz made him work for it. But once he got through that second set, it was like he put the foot down, it was a different player. Yeah, and we don't know the full extent of his wrist and clearly that's a really um, sensitive area for tennis players. I think what Novak's strength has been throughout his entire career has been his movement around the court. Mm. Um, he will chase down that one or two extra balls that seem far too wide to get back. And if you are going to get back, you're just going to get it back high and central for your opponent to put it away. And he managed to get it back low and wide, keep himself in the rally. And mentally for Djokovic's opponents, that is so wearing because they have to dig deep, game after game, point after point, set after set. Um, and he feels like he's never going to get despondent about it. He's going to just go forever, um, even when he's not 100% seemingly. So, yeah, he can just find that extra gear when it matters most. And that's the mark of a great champion, right? Herzak versus Medvedev in the second quarter final. I think that's coming up later tonight. Uh, how do you see that one? Yeah, that's the afternoon one. Afternoon, I mean, Med yeah. Medvedev, yeah, we've got the, the wonderful Zverev Alcaraz yeah. uh, matchup in the evening. But I think uh, Medvedev's just going to be too strong. I mean, yeah. her catch is great. Again, a, a journeyman who's maybe 
better than that, better than average. Um, the strength and depth of men's tennis goes down way beyond the just the top 50. Um, but I think Medvedev, almost like a mini Djokovic, just mm. has that mentality to keep going uh, so strong from the baseline. Um, I'd be very surprised if he loses that. And you mentioned tonight's Zverev taking on Alcaraz. This is this is the the match, isn't it? Yeah, and and, and I think uh, it was Jim Courier on court after Alcaraz's last uh, victory that was a very easy straight set. Said, um, "Yeah, you've had some issues against Zverev in the past, haven't you? He's a bit of a bogey player." Or, or mm. phrased it along yeah. those lines. Um, Alcaraz did not like that one bit. He's a very charming young Spaniard. Mm. Um, but he was very quick to sort of, with a smile, play that down. Mm. So I think there's, there could be a bit of needle tonight. And, and great, that, all the more entertaining for us. There's a bit more to play out before this can potentially happen. But for me, the Alcaraz-Djokovic final, that, that, that's the one for me. The old bull versus the young bull. Was Djokovic 36 or 30, 36, 36 years, yeah. years of age now against the 20-year-old? Djokovic, he's got more records ahead of him as well. There's so much for him to play for against one of the brightest stars in the game. It, it's it's perfectly set up for an Australian Open final. If we get that far, we, do you dare sort of yeah. suggest where it could go no, by I this mean, point? I mean, I would still put Djokovic favour. And what's great is we've seen it before a few yeah. times now, haven't we? But for our crowds to win a US Open and a Wimbledon Championships mm. over the last couple of years in this era, um, where Djokovic is still at his peak when he wants to be, yeah. um, I think says everything about this young guy's talent. And again, it could just be a mentality thing. I mean, Alcaraz has not been this far in the Australian Open because when he was you know, in the form of his life, he wasn't able to play last mm. year. So um, I think it's just, yeah, it's too hard to go. You look back to some of those great Federer-Nadal finals, Djokovic-Nadal finals, and sometimes it would get to a fifth set and you really wouldn't know which way yeah. it was going because it had already fluctuated two or three times, right? Um, and sometimes those top matches just come down to a, a lucky net cord, Um just something that will, will swing it their way. And, uh, and it, Alcaraz is just going to have to match Djokovic mentally. Um, he's got all the skill in the world. He could definitely win this. As you said, it's an, ama it's an amazing era, era of tennis that we're witnessing at the moment. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining us. Stick around. You're hanging around? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's take a break and back more with, more with Alex Thomas. It is the afternoon here on SEN. Glenn Hawke joining you. one twenty-two here in Sydney, 12.22 up there in Brisbane. Thanks for joining us. Wherever you may be listening to us, 11.70 in Sydney, 6.93 in Brisbane or on the SEN app. Alex Thomas joining us in the studio, an esteemed UK journalist now calling Australia home. Now, Alex, there's only one thing I love doing more than talking cricket that's talking cricket with an Englishman. So uh, that, that's our... You call hot me a pom if you want to. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's not a legal word. Okay, talking cricket with a pom after the back of last year's Ashes series. <laughs> but uh, we were just talking off air about the uh, the Australian cricket team, what they've done over the last 12 months. Um, obviously, plenty happened yesterday with, with Pat Cummins. You were in at Fox Studios yesterday working. What was the uh, what was the talk of the, of the, uh, the Fox News room after the... or during and after that press conference yesterday yeah well we had it highlighted for hours ahead so we've got to cross live to pat when he starts yeah. speaking and of course he gave gave the first five minutes of his press conference up to uh, one of the climate initiatives that cricket australia are implementing which is great and worthy and one of the things i admire a bit from the outside of the australian cricket captain is that he gets involved with issues like that and he's vocal about them he's yeah. not going to shy away from it um then they got back to cricket and that was all pretty dull because <laughs> um it's been a bit of one-sided series and you can't see anything changing in the second test despite shamar joseph's best efforts as, mm. a, as a test debutant almost um and then of course he got on to some controversial issues he was asked about australia day and glenn maxwell 
and two interesting but different responses played a very straight bat to the Maxwell questions. Um, and he's right in a way, those questions are for Glenn to answer. And w there's two things about that very quickly is that I think Cricket Australia shouldn't shy away from being transparent with the media. The truth will always come out anyway. Mm. Don't say we, he was left out the one-day squad and it wasn't related. If it was, I don't know if it was or not. Yeah. It's just a, very, a huge coincidence that they heard about it on the same day that he was left out of the squad. Um, if it's punishment for him, then fair enough. As Cummins himself said, he's a big boy. He needs to take responsibility for his actions. Now, whether it's just he had a few too many and that happens to all of us, it is different for someone who's a professional athlete and representing mm. their country. Whether they're on duty or not, you you have responsibilities. Um, but then it happens. Just yeah. own up, say sorry. I think things would move on pretty quickly. It's not as such a big deal. But I like that Cummins didn't shy away from giving his opinion on Australia Day. And for me, he always articulates himself really well. Yeah. And it amazes me that he gets so much flack on social media. You know, Australia should be really, really proud of its men's cricket team and its women's cricket team. They've had a good year too. But the men's cricket team, but arguably one of the best 12 months yeah. of any in an era where they've had huge domination uh, back around the turn of the century, you know, with the war team, the Alan Border team before that, um, Ricky Ponting, some legends, Warren mm. McGrath. They've got a team here that have done them really proud over the last year or so. Um, and a, a captain that's not just in the thick of the cricket. He's a citizen like anybody else. He's absolutely valid to voice his opinion. When people say stick to sport and stay out of politics, that is complete BS for me. Yeah. You know, politics is not a specialist subject in its own right. It's not just for politicians to talk about. It's about how we run our country. It's how we live our lives. He's perfectly capable of expressing opinion. He does it very articulately. So um, celebrate your Australian cricket team for everything, for their play on the field and the fact that they are, on the whole, a decent bunch of it by all accounts. Mm. Um, and I've got some intelligent opinions about things. I mentioned this to Pete Lawler and I discussed this earlier on today. The, the thing for me, and, and part of the outcry, as you say, we, you know, Pat, we don't want to hear... You we don't want you jamming your opinions down our throats. Well, what happened yesterday was far from that. He was asked about it. He was asked a question. Now, Pat Cummins didn't have a town hall meeting in the Queen Street Mall and say, hear ye, hear ye, I want to you know, preach to you about what's happening in Australia. <laughs> well, that would be fun. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Um, nor did he, in a more modern uh, take on it, you know, creating a video and putting on social media saying, right. this, is, this is my belief and this is what we should be doing as a nation. He was simply... Asking, well, we simply asked a question and gave an intelligent and forthright opinion on it, as he as he is entitled to do. I think, and this, you, this has been in your wheelhouse plenty of times, not just here in UK and everywhere where you've worked. There have been so many times where a sports person has been asked a question, and you just get a, a nothing, a dead bat response, and that's why. Yeah, because you you look at this, and and it's as you say it's not the first time that. That Pat's put his hand out, been asked a tough question, and he's provided an answer to a, a tough question, and he's been, you know, he's been canned for it. But you know, people talking about his leadership and whether it's to me, it, it shows great strength in leadership that he has been asked these questions, and maybe we're just losing the ability a, a, as a society to have a have a debate. What was really interesting about the climate thing, actually, as well, and this is connected to what you just said, is that. Pat Cummins said that during COVID, when they couldn't play, mm. he actually took the time out to learn about the subject because yeah. it's something that kept cropping up. It's something he was interested in, and he felt he wasn't knowledgeable enough to have an opinion, which, again, for me, is a very grown-up response. So you're going to tell me he did more than just looked at a couple of TikTok clips? <laughs> he did more than that? He claims <laughs> to have read half a dozen to a dozen books. Look out. Which is probably more than I've managed to do in the last <laughs> year or two, um, as well as watching you know documentaries and, and, and looking stuff up online. Mm. So um, and I don't think there's any reason why he would lie about that. He doesn't strike me as a particularly boastful character. So um, 
you know, credit to him. He'd learned about it. That's why he got involved with that. And I think the same with Australia Day. He clearly had thought about it. Yeah. How much reading he'd done, who he'd spoken to, I don't know. But it's for me, he's not voicing an opinion based out, based out of ignorance or just on a whim. He's done some serious thinking about it. And there's two parts to this, what he's doing now. And, and we don't need or want to get into a, a climate change debate or anything like that. But what he's doing is part of this up at the National Centre of Excellence, they've put an installation up there that's in the first year is going to save Cricket Australia or Cricket Cricket Queensland or whoever's in that building now. It's going to save them $50,000 in the first year. So all of a sudden we've got $50,000 that can be redirected into supporting grassroots cricket or some other facilities in that. They're also looking to do this in grassroots sporting clubs by putting solar panels in grassroots sporting clubs. They're also looking to um, replace old refrigeration units in with new energy efficient refrigeration units and the likes. Now I've been involved in administration of, of grassroots sport over the years. Now, if I had a Pat Cummins or anyone who was going to knock on the door and say, we want to give you this that can support your club and your club can save this much money, or we're going to put solar panels on your clubhouse and the savings that you make, we're going to do it for nothing. And the savings you make, you can direct it back into supporting the game that can be nothing but an incredibly generous and wonderful initiative. And you know what? If there's climate benefits on top of that, fabulous. And grassroots initiative, so crucial to growing any sport. You must have had this debate on air a million times about how the difference in the rugby league, AFL routes versus rugby union. Yeah. And what state that's left rugby union in this country in now. I mean, I remember exactly. coming here to do a rugby development piece back in 2015 when the cricketers won the men's one-day World mm. Cup on home soil. The union team already showing signs of just not being able to compete at the highest level. Um, so it's, it's essential. And, and cricket at the highest level also is not exactly rolling in the bucks except for India and England for certain mm. test series. So savings are important. If you want to see these great players playing at the highest level, entertaining us with great cricket, you've got to be aware of the bigger picture. There's not just an endless pot of money. One of our great leaders in, in Australian cricket of all time, he'll go down as one of our great fast bowlers of all time, great captain, he has a social conscience and trying to give back to the game. I'm really not too, too sure what's not to like about him. I agree with you. I think he's really admirable. I think, and also just on the bowling front. He's yeah. been great. You know, he's sometimes as consistent as Glenn McGrath has been. Um, but just his ability to find the right ball at the right time, particularly against opposing captains. Been plenty of times, not just in this summer, but summers before where it's been a case of, uh, look, give me the ball. I'll do, give it to Pat. Paddle sorted out. And I, was, done it. I was screaming to my nine-year-old son, come and watch this. They hit the top of our stump. Keep, remember, I keep telling you, that's how you pitch it. There. Sit down, son. Watch these blokes bowl. In line, top of off stump, all done. Alex, it's been fabulous to have you in the, um, in the studio this afternoon. Yeah, we, we might have to. Coach Cable, we'll get him back again. Yeah, let's get him back again. Mate, wonderful to, um, to see you. Enjoy your, continue to enjoy the summer here. Enjoy the tennis, which I know you will. And we'll have you back on the show very soon. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Alex Thomas, uh, UK journo, calling Australia home right now. Great to chat to him about all things tennis and cricket as well. What do you think? 0457 736 736. Or give us a call on 1300 01 1170. Time for news and we will be back soon.